chapter 26. The title of tonight's message, The Big If. The Big If. You'll see that as we work through the chapter here, that much of the Old Covenant promises were conditional. God will do this if you will do this. If you will obey my commandments, then you will have this. If you reject my commandments, then you will experience this. And that is much of the Old Covenant. The Old Covenant is really based on man's uh, ability to keep the law. This, of course, is the weakness of the law. The weakness of the law is that man does not have the ability to keep it. Uh, The covenant failed because of the weakness of the flesh, man's inability to keep the law. Now, the law is holy, the law is good, but man is sinful and weak. As we look at this here tonight, because we are living under the new covenant, the covenant of grace, we can't directly apply all of this old covenant promise to our lives. We have to really kind of draw principles from here and apply it in a New Testament understanding. And God's word is still good and true, and there are great principles for us here. But the truth is, we live under a new covenant that is made upon better promises. And uh, as the writer of Hebrews said in Hebrews 8, verse 6, he has obtained, speaking of Jesus, he has obtained a more excellent ministry inasmuch as he is also mediator of a better covenant which was established on better promises. So as we looked here tonight, we'll look at these, this covenant, and we will draw principles for our own life. But remember, this is the old covenant, and we are now living under a new covenant, a better covenant, established on better promises. The, 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 the great thing about the new covenant is it's not based on man's ability or effort to keep law but rather it is based on what God has accomplished and done for us in Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 8, verse 3, For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. On account of sin, He condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. I love the way that passage reads, reads, for what the law could not do, God did. What the law was unable to accomplish because of the weakness of our flesh, it was unable to make us righteous. It was unable to make us right before God. It simply gave us a standard, a measuring uh, tool, wherein we can see that we fall short of God's holy, righteous perfection. It did not impart any ability, any supernatural ability for us to live up to it. It simply revealed our condition. And you might ask, what is the purpose then of the law if God knew that we couldn't couldn't, uh, fulfill it? Well, uh, Paul tells us in Romans, one of the reasons that the law was given was, in fact, to reveal the sinfulness of man. Romans 7, 7, what shall we say then? Is the law sin? Certainly not. On the contrary, I would not have known sin except through the law. For I would not have known covetousness unless the law had said, you shall not covet. And isn't that true about the law? You know, there's some things that you have no interest in doing until someone says, don't do that. Oh, then I really want to do that. Right? The law brings out that, that, that rebellious, that sinful man is revealed through the, through, through the law. So it's, it's to reveal sin. Romans 7.13 Has then what is good become death to me? Well, certainly not, but sin, that it might appear sin, was producing death in me through what is good, 
so that sin through the commandment might become exceedingly sinful. The law was given to reveal man's true condition before a holy God. That we are sinful, that we need a mediator, that we need something to resolve the, the, the gap between what God calls us to and what we are able to live to. And of course, that all points and leads and tutors us to whom? Jesus Christ. And so it says in the book of Galatians chapter 3, But before faith came, we were kept under guard by the law, kept for the faith which would afterward be revealed. Therefore the law was our tutor to bring us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. But after faith has come, we are no longer under a tutor. So praise God for the new covenant that brings us to faith in Christ and now fulfills the work and righteousness of the law through what Christ has accomplished on our behalf. And yet still the law, the Bible says the law is good. The law is holy. It still speaks to us concerning the nature, the heart, the desire of God. And yet we know that these things become ours through faith in Jesus Christ and by the power of the Holy Spirit working in us, giving us the actual ability to live honoring lives to the Lord. So uh, this is what we'll look at here tonight. Um, but let me just remind you, don't, don't imagine now, uh, this of course, I'll say this just before we get started in our text, don't imagine that our actions and decisions uh, have no consequences. Well, we're under grace now. Oh, man, whew, so glad I don't have to worry about the law anymore. Don't let that kind of sink into this notion that somehow, you know, it doesn't really matter how I live, I'm under grace anyway, I can't keep the law, why bother? No, our lifestyle will still have certain consequences and, you know, decisions that we make will lead us to certain destinies. And God calls us to a life of holiness. We are, He's desiring to bring us and, and transform us into the image of His Son. But this work comes through grace, not through the work of man's flesh. One more passage before we look at our text tonight, Romans 6. And I have most of these for you up on the overhead. Romans 6.15, what then? Shall we sin because we are not under law but under grace? See, Paul, Paul anticipated this kind of misunderstanding. Certainly not. Do you not know that to whom you present yourselves slaves to obey, you are that one's slaves whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness? But God be thanked that though you were slaves of sin, Yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered, and having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. Paul asks that rhetorical question. Well, since we're under grace, should we just go ahead and be free to sin? No. Don't you understand that when you present yourself to those types of things, you're going to become enslaved to those things. Those things are going to reap a a, a consequence upon your life. No, Paul said God's grace did not come to free you and give you license to sin, but rather to break sin's power over your life that you might be free to live for Him through faith and allow the Spirit of God to empower you. So let's get into our text here tonight, but keeping that in mind, we are under the New Testament, but we still want to draw principles here and and see if we can find some application for our own uh, Christian life, even under the New Covenant. Uh, What we'll see here tonight, verses 1 through 13 in Leviticus 26, we will see God's promise of blessing. God's promise of blessing, picking up in verse 1. 
You shall not make idols for yourselves, neither a carved image nor a sacred pillar shall you rear up for yourselves, nor shall you set an engraved stone in your land to bow down to it, for I am the Lord your God. So you don't, not to worship any other gods or idols. Verse 2, you shall keep my Sabbaths and reverence my sanctuary. I am the Lord. And here's that word. Verse 3, if, if you walk in my statutes and keep my commandments and perform them, then I will give you rain in its season. The land shall yield its produce. The trees of the field shall yield their fruit. Your threshing shall last till the time of vintage, and the vintage shall last till the time of sowing. You shall eat your bread to the full and dwell in your land safely. The first thing we see promised, if you will keep my commandments, if you will keep my statutes, you will receive rain and fruitful harvest. It's a promise. If you'll obey me, I will provide for you. Let's look at what else he's willing to get, the promise of blessing for those that will obey his commandments under the old covenant. Verse 6, I will give you peace in the land, and you shall lie down, and none will make you afraid. I will rid the land of evil beasts, and the sword will not go through your land. You will chase your enemies, and they shall fall by the sword before you. Five of you shall cause a, a, a hundred, and a hundred of you shall put ten thousand to flight. Your enemies shall fall by the sword before you. What else does God promise? Peace and safety, victory over your enemies. They will be actually in fear and dread of you. You will put them to flight. Verse 9 and 10, he also uh, promises a multiplied population. For I will look on you favorably and make you fruitful, multiply you and confirm my covenant with you. You shall eat the old harvest and clear out the old because of the new. I will set my, excuse me, yeah, multiplied population and, uh, and continued reaping of a harvest. Verse 11 through 12, he promises his presence to be with them. I will set my tabernacle among you and my soul shall not abhor you. I will walk among you and be your God, and you shall be my people. That may be one of the sweetest promises, just to know that God would be with them. God's promised to be in their midst, His presence going with them. And God, if God is with you, if God is for you, really everything else is handled. He also promises this freedom from slavery. Verse 13, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, that you should not be their slaves. I have broken the bands of your yoke and made you walk upright. God had delivered them from Egypt, and God had promised to keep them free from that type of slavery, that type of bondage. If you'll obey me, these are the things that I will provide for you. Everything. Everything that you need as a people and a nation, you will be blessed. You got to remember in the in, in this time, you know, there were no uh, irrigation, uh, you know, science developed. They had to depend on the rain. I mean, you plant your crop and you just hope that the rains would come. God says, "Listen, if you'll walk in my statutes, obey my commands, keep me first, worship no other gods, make no false idols, keep my sabbaths." That didn't just mean the the Sabbath day rest, but all of those holy days, all of that fellowship and communion, keeping reminder of the Lord in your midst, then you will be blessed. I will take care of everything. Everything will be added unto you. Does that sound like any promise you can think of in the New Testament? 
does for me as well. Turn with me if you would. Hold your place. We'll come back to Leviticus. But I want to see now just this principle kind of in New Testament language. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6. Matthew 6, and I'm going to pick it up tonight in verse 25. Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore do not worry, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you need all these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble." This promise of blessing that God made to his nation back in Leviticus, Jesus applies the same principle and makes promise here for the New Testament believer that God knows what you have need of and God wants to provide everything that you need. Not necessarily everything that you want, but everything that you need. There will be times when I believe that God will bless you abundantly and you'll actually have an abundance There will also be times when you have just barely enough. And God, in those ups and downs of life, will show you His faithfulness. You know, I hate to say this, but you do learn a lot more in those lean times than you do in the abundant times. In abundance, you know, the need for God is diminished. And, you know, we're thankful. Thank you, Lord, but I'm so glad, you know, my barns are full. But when we're when when you know times are lean, then we're then we're really crying out to the Lord. It draws our hearts toward Him in faith. But Jesus said, "Listen, I'll take care of you, if you'll seek first the kingdom, if you'll put God first in your life, if you'll really put spiritual things at the top, not just somewhere in the mix, not just well, you know, it's important, but it's not number one, or or you know, seek first the kingdom and His righteousness. Live for the Lord." Make Him your priority. Draw close to Him. Put Him in the very forefront of your thinking, your life, your your purpose, your destiny, and God will control and and minister all the things that you need. He'll bring them to you. He promises. Put Him to the test. Put God to the test. And watch and see how the Lord will work and bless. Now again, don't, don't anticipate God to give you everything you want, but anticipate God to give you everything that you need. And this is what I have discovered, that over time, not necessarily instantly, but I have discovered over time that not only does God give me what I need, 
but God gives me the very best. I have discovered that the things that I wanted at one time that God maybe denied were not as good as what He ended up giving me in His timing and in His blessing. God loves us. He wants to bless us. This promise of blessing is certainly for the New Testament believer as well. Let's go back to Leviticus and pick it up in verse 14. God gives promise of blessing, but He also gives a warning. He also gives a promise of retribution. Another if statement is made here in verse 14. And uh, before I read it, let me just uh, introduce this next section, verses 14 through 39, these promises of retribution. What you'll notice is that they come in waves. These these judgments, these disciplines, these uh, chastising of the Lord, it, it will come in waves. And we'll look at about six waves here that God promises to bring if the people reject Him. First one, We find there in verse 14, But if you do not obey me and do not observe all these commandments, and if you despise my statutes, or if your soul abhors my judgments, so that you do not perform all my commandments but break my covenant, I will also do this to you. I will even appoint terror over you, wasting disease and fever, which shall consume the eyes and cause sorrow of heart. And you shall sow your seed in vain, for your enemies shall eat it. I will set my face against you, and you shall be defeated by your enemies. And those who hate you shall reign over you, and you shall flee when no one pursues you. If you reject the Lord, if you reject His covenants, nation of Israel, then you will have terror, you will have disease, you will have defeat. Wave 1. Look at wave 2, beginning in verse 18. And after all this, and you see the idea of the wave, you know, if that doesn't humble your heart, if that doesn't turn your heart, well, then this will be coming. And if after all this, if you do not obey me, then I will punish you seven times more for your sins. And that idea of seven times more, you'll see that phrase through the study here. And it means simply, I will completely punish. Seven meaning the completion of your punishment. He's not going to hold anything back. You're going to swallow it all. I will break the pride of your power. I will make your heavens like iron and your earth like bronze. And your strength shall be spent in vain. For your land shall not yield its produce, nor shall the trees of the land yield their fruit. So wave two, there will be uh, no rain, no harvest. The ground will dry up and become hard. And the heavens will become closed for rain. The next wave, picking it up in verse 21. Then if you walk contrary to me and are not willing to obey me, I will bring on you seven times more plagues according to your sins. And I will also send wild beasts among you, which shall rob you of your children, destroy your livestock, and make you few in number, and your highways shall be desolate. So the next wave comes in. God will send wild beasts that will come in among you. Can you imagine? You know, we don't live in that kind of a, of a fear. Not too much. A little bit in the foothills. You know, there's a mountain lion that comes down every now and then, right? You hear about it in the news. Or bears coming down. Little coyotes. You know, I see coyotes out in, in front of my uh, neighborhood all the time. But, you know, imagine if you really had to worry about, you know, lions and bears. I mean, coming and, and you know, keeping your children safe. And, and this is what God says. Listen, this will be a sign. This will be another wave of judgment. And what's happening here is God is trying to, God is trying to, 
to discipline His people to repent. Listen, if you, if you choose to reject me, if you throw off these things, then you're going to have trouble. And the trouble comes to, to, to soften your heart. The trouble comes to awaken you spiritually, to remind you of the covenant and to come back to the Lord. But if, after all these things, you refuse to obey me, then the next wave will come. The next punishment will be, will be arriving because God loves you too much just to let you continue to go off. He will continue to endeavor to reach you through discipline, through, through, through really judgment in the case of His people here. And this is what He's spelling out. Look, these things are coming. He goes on to the next wave. Verse 23. And if by these things you are not reformed by me, but walk contrary to me, then I also will walk contrary to you. And I will punish you seven times for your sins. And I will bring a sword against you that will execute the vengeance of the covenant. When you are gathered together within your cities, I will send pestilence among you. And you shall be delivered into the hand of your enemy. When I have cut off your supply of bread, ten women shall bake your bread in one oven. And they shall bring back your bread by weight, and you shall eat and not be satisfied. The next wave comes, and it's a sword of the enemy and a cut off of the supply of bread. There's going to, lay, be, a, there's going to be siege laid around your cities, and you're not going to, you're going to be starving. You're going to be camped up in those cities, and you're going to just scurry up enough flour, and you're going to all have to share it in one oven. And this this idea of you know the enemies now are going to be pursuing you and coming after you, and God's going to allow it. God's not protecting them anymore. He's allowing the sword of the enemy. The next wave, the fifth wave, starting in verse 27. And after all this, you know, you hear the heart of the Lord, and after all this, I mean, you guys are stubborn. If you do not obey me, but walk contrary to me, then I also will walk contrary to you in fury. And I, even I, will chastise you seven times for your sins. You shall eat the flesh of your sons, and you shall eat the flesh of your daughters. I will destroy your high places, cut down your incense altars, and cast your carcasses on the lifeless forms of your idols, and my soul shall abhor you. I will lay your cities waste and bring your sanctuaries to desolation, and I will not smell the fragrance of your sweet aromas. I will bring the land to desolation, and your enemies who dwell in it shall be astonished at it. I will scatter you among the nations and draw out a sword after you. Your land shall be desolate and your cities waste. Then the land shall enjoy its Sabbaths as long as it lies desolate. You are in your enemy's land. Then the land shall rest and enjoy its Sabbaths as long as it lies desolate. It shall rest for the time it did not rest on your Sabbaths when you dwelt in it. You see the intensity of the waves. You see the intensity of the discipline becoming more and more severe as the people continue to harden and harden and resist a God that is trying to bring them to repentance. And now you see total destruction, desolation, and there will be even a dispersion. You'll be taken captive. You shall eat the flesh of your own children. What's amazing here is that God actually prophesied their this future became part of their history. That they did, in fact, rebel against the Lord. You know the story. The, the northern kingdom was 
captured by Assyria, and then Babylon came and captured the southern kingdom of Judah. Nebuchadnezzar laid siege around the city, and, the, and as they were starving, they began to eat. Uh, we have historical accounts where they even began to eat their own children to survive. And God giving them this, this, this visible uh, picture of how horrible it will be for you if you harden your heart against me. If you'll serve me, if you'll walk with me, I'll bless you. I'll give you all that you need. I'll be with you. You'll be my people. I'll be your God. But if you reject me and you turn your back on me and you worship false gods and you, you pursue your own rebellious way, then these waves of judgment will come upon you. And what's amazing is how accurate these passages really were fulfilled as the nation of Israel over the years, over the centuries, began to fall away from the Lord. The final wave that's mentioned here, verse 36, And as for those of you who are left, I will send faintness into their hearts in the lands of their enemies. The sound of a shaken leaf shall cause them to flee. They shall flee as though fleeing from a sword, and they shall fall when no one pursues. They shall stumble over one another as it were before a sword when no one pursues, and you shall have no power to stand before your enemies. You shall perish among the nations, and the land of your enemies shall eat you up. And those of you who are left shall waste away in their iniquity in your enemies' lands. Also in their fathers' iniquities which are with them, they shall waste away. The final wave is not, not only will your land be punished, but you will be taken out of your land, and you will live and die in a strange land. It is interesting if you study the history of the Jewish people that for so many years, really hundreds of years, they existed as a people, but they did not dwell in their land. Really, not until just recently, right? Just uh, in, in our last 60 years, Israel is back on the map and the Jewish people are coming back to the land. That too also prophesied that God would in the latter days bring them back to the land. But for hundreds of years, really almost 2,000 years, since 70 A.D. when the Romans destroyed Jerusalem and scattered them, the Jewish people have continued to survive ethnically as a, as a group. They, we can still identify them. They know who they are, but they have no, have, have no homeland. That's the only nation that has been able to survive without a homeland. Interesting. No other nation exists today. If they didn't have a homeland, if there's no place for them to, to live and identify themselves, all other nations have been lost except those that had a land. But, but the Jewish people have been kept preserved even without a homeland. And this prophecy, they've gone out and suffered in their enemies' lands. And if you know their history, you know how accurately uh, this passage uh, was fulfilled because of their rebellion. I want to remind you that all through this history, you know, you read this and it's, it's harsh. Wow. God's hand came upon them in a very heavy way. But I want to remind you that all through the years of their rebellion, and these, these punishments did come, but God was faithful to send prophet after prophet after prophet, begging them to repent, pleading with the people. Return to me. Don't do this to yourself. Why will you allow yourself to suffer these things? 
And we have the prophets, Isaiah. We've recently, months back, studied through the book of Jeremiah, the weeping prophet. And it is that, that, that appeal of God through the heart of the prophet, come back, stop it now. It's coming. Judgment is coming, but it's not too late. If you will repent, the wave can stop right here. And I will restore you. God mercifully tried to win the heart of his people back, but they refused. They were determined. And so they came unto this judgment. A couple of New Testament passages I want you to look at. Now, remember, we are living under the new covenant. I, I do not believe that, that for the true born-again Christian that we need to live in the fear of judgment. But there is a principle here of sowing and reaping, isn't there? There is just a a reality that certain decisions, certain lifestyle choices, they do bring consequences, even in the life of the believer. God forgives. God cleanses. But certain decisions still bring destructive consequences upon our lives. Turn with me to Galatians chapter 6. We'll be back and finish up Leviticus here in a moment, but turn with me to Galatians chapter 6. You know this passage. But I want to remind you of it here as well. Galatians chapter 6. Now you'll remember the book of Galatians is is really Paul's uh, doctrinal letter on salvation by grace, not of works, not of the law. Paul spends much most of his time in this letter conv- trying to reconvince the Galatians not to go back under the Old Covenant. Don't get back into bondage under the law. You've been set free by grace. And enjoy and walk in the liberty of God's grace and the freedom that He has given to you. And yet still, even in that context, we see Him outline this principle of sowing and reaping. Galatians chapter 6. Look at with me in verse 7. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, that he will also reap. For he who sows to his flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. But he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. And let us not grow weary while doing good. For in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. So there is still a principle that I think we, we should hold in our hearts. Thank God for His mercy. Thank God for the wonderful cross that brings mercy and forgiveness and the grace of Jesus Christ to our lives. Where would we be? Where would we be without the mercy of God? Where would we, what would have become of any of us apart from the, the forgiveness and the grace of Jesus Christ? Praise the Lord. But I also want to keep something in my heart. Having been blessed by this grace, having been so loved and so touched, I want, I want to sow to spiritual things. I do want to seek first the kingdom. I want to sow to the Spirit. Having tasted the goodness of God, I want more of that. How about you? I want to sow to the Spirit and reap from that sowing life and peace, the blessings of God upon my life. I don't want to sow to the flesh anymore. Because if you sow to the flesh, don't be deceived. God is not mocked. If you sow to the flesh, even as a Christian, if you sow to the flesh, you're going to reap a harvest of corruption. I'm not saying you're going to be judged and go to hell. 
I'm saying you're going to reap the consequences of sowing to your own to the flesh and the lusts of the flesh. And you're going to suffer the consequences of those decisions. And God does not want that for you. He wants to bless you. He wants to keep you from those heartaches. But it requires sowing to the Spirit. And what he follows up here, don't grow weary in well-doing. I tried it, Pastor. It didn't work. I tried sowing to the Spirit. Things got worse. That happens sometimes, you know. A couple of kind of puny crops come in before the, before the, the real bumper crop arrives. Don't grow weary. Don't grow weary in well-doing because you will reap. I'm telling you, God is faithful. You will not be disappointed if you'll sow to the Spirit. You will never be disappointed. Those who put their trust in the Lord shall not be disappointed. Trust the Lord. Put your heart in Him. Don't grow weary in well-doing. Yes, it takes a discipline. Yes, there's a diligence. Yes, there's a, there's a certain uh, you know, pers- uh, persevering that's needed for the Christian life. It's not for sissies. It's not for you know, people that are not really after the Lord and all of their, with all of their heart. But oh, the blessing. Oh, the faithfulness of God if we will continue to pursue Him. One other verse that I would like to share with you again, kind of in this same principle of what we looked at. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. As I mentioned, that those passages in Leviticus, they, it, it, it brings this discipline of the Lord and it comes in waves. You know, God, God disciplines in hopes... <laughs> that the people would repent. But if they won't, well, then we, you know, we go on to, to phase two, phase three, and so forth. And God, but all of it is designed to bring his people back. Hebrews chapter 12, and uh, follow with me if you would, picking up in verse 5. And have you forgotten the exhortation which, which speaks to you as to sons? My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord. Nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens and scourges every son whom he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us, and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? For they indeed for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them, but he for our profit, that we may be partakers of his holiness. Now no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, oh amen, but painful. Nevertheless, afterward it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. This is for the the child of God. If you're not a child of God, this isn't for you. But if you're a child of God, God loves you enough to discipline you. I don't know if you've ever been around a child that has never received any discipline. I don't know if you've ever been in the marketplace and you've seen a child without, and you can tell that child has never been disciplined. (laughs) 
it doesn't bring out the best in the child. It doesn't bring out uh, the qualities, the virtues, the character. And God is treating and dealing with us as children whom he loves. And the beauty is, and that's what the passage draws out, you know, as human parents, we do our best, and we should. But God, God does it perfectly. God knows just what you need, just when you need it. And everything that he's doing in your life, you know, in the way of disciplining and chastening, is, is, has been perfectly planned and crafted for you to bring about the peaceable fruit of righteousness to make you more like Jesus, to bring character and virtue into your heart, to establish things in your life that you will need to be fruitful for Him and in this life. And if you despise it, if you reject it, if you're unwilling to submit to it, you are going to miss the blessing that God has for you and the blessing that He wants to bring through you. And so this is a reality for the life of a Christian. Some discipline comes because of, you know, our own misconduct. And God brings discipline to just correct us. And sometimes we need it. Has anybody arrived? Is there anybody in here that would be brave enough to say, I don't, I, I don't need any more correction? <laughs> okay, brother. <laughs> Look out tonight. <laughs> I would say, I don't want any more correction. But I've got to admit, I know that I need some more correction. You know, God's not finished. God's, I'm a, I don't know about you, but I'm a project, you know. And, and I feel like sometimes, wow, I'm a real project. And God has to work, and God is working. And there's that. So some of it is to correct, and some of it, I, I have to say, I believe some of it is just God working to bring out something better in you. It's not like you've sinned and He's punishing you. It's not like you've even necessarily done anything wrong, but God knows that you can do better. You know, it's, it's like training a, an athlete. You know, you, you just, just push him a little harder to bring out the best. And that's what God is doing in your life. And so some of that discipline is God just, just putting a little pressure on to bring out even more of His own nature through you. And He has to do that sometimes just to... to you know, squelch the flesh and just to put, you know, I've got to decrease so that he can increase. Paul talked about a thorn in his side, a messenger of Satan sent to buffet him, not because he'd done anything wrong, but because of, of all that he, God had shown him. But God said to him, listen, my grace is sufficient because in your weakness, my strength is going to be perfected. And so some of the discipline that comes is simply God perfecting His strength in your life. And He causes you to be weak through that trial, through that difficulty, so that He can be strong. And, no, and, and boy, the passage nails it, doesn't it? No discipline at the moment seems pleasant, but painful. Amen. You know, it, we don't relish discipline. We don't ask for it. Lord, give me another, you know. <laughs> but we trust Him. And we've learned that God, in His wisdom and in His love, is working all things together for good. To those that love Him, to those that are called according to His purpose, to those that are His legitimate children. So we have to allow that process. And this is part of what God is, is putting into the heart of His people back in Leviticus. 
You know, guys, if you begin to get off stray, I'm going to send a wave of discipline. And the hope is that that will bring you back, and then I'll be able to continue to bless you. And through the life of the nation, there were waves that came, and they did repent, and they did restore, and there, there was re- restoration to the nation, and then they would enjoy another generation or two of blessing. And you read the book of Judges, and it's just this up and down, you know. They, they, the Lord humbles them, they return to the Lord, and He blesses them for a while. Then they get, you know, kind of distracted and they depart from the Lord and God sends a wave. And they cry out to the Lord and He blesses them. And, you know, and, so, and so it is in the nation. And, and sometimes it is that way in our life as well. And God is working, uh, disciplining us, but also uh, trying to bring out the very best in us. Turn with me now back to uh, Leviticus. We'll finish up here tonight. Verse 40 through 46. Through it all, God remembers His covenant. Picking it up in verse 40. But if they confess their iniquity and the iniquity of their fathers with their unfaithfulness in which they were unfaithful to me and that they they also have walked contrary to me and that I also have walked contrary to them and have brought them into the land of their enemies, if their uncircumcised hearts are humbled and they accept their guilt, then I will remember my covenant with Jacob and my covenant with Isaac and my covenant with Abraham. I will remember, I will remember the land. The land also shall be left empty by them and will enjoy its Sabbaths while it lies desolate without them. They will accept their guilt because they despised my judgments and because their soul abhorred my statutes. Yet for all that, when they are in the land of their enemies, I will not cast them away. Nor shall I abhor them to utterly destroy them and break my covenant with them, for I am the Lord their God. But for their sake I will remember the covenant of their ancestors, whom I brought out of the land of Egypt in the sight of the nations, that I might be their God. I am the Lord. These are the statutes and judgments and laws which the Lord made between himself and the children of Israel on Mount Sinai by the hand of Moses. You hear the heart of God. In the, even, even in these judgments, even when they are held and taken captive by their enemies, if their hearts will humble themselves, if they will turn back to me, if they will acknowledge their sin, I will remember my covenant. I will preserve them as a people. I mentioned that earlier. He has preserved them as a people, even when, when taken captive out of their homeland, because he's kept them for himself, because he remembers his covenant. And after they were in Babylon for 70 years, remembering the land had its rest, it had its Sabbaths, then God brought a remnant back and restored them. Now we know that even now, they are now back in the land. And there are future promises for the nation of Israel to enjoy in the land that are yet to be fulfilled. We look for those to be fulfilled. We believe that when Jesus returns... There will be an earthly reign and God will restore his people in their land. And some of this promise is yet to be fulfilled. God has not forgotten his covenant. And God is so faithful even when we are not, even when we fail. And, you know, my thought here is it's just never too late. You know, even this people, he knew God knew what was coming. He warned them. But he knew what was coming, and yet he leaves, he leaves them with this promise, I will not forget you. 
even in years of your rebellion, if you will humble your heart, I will remember my covenant with you. 1 John 1.9 If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. This principle remains true in our life. If we fall, if we stumble, is it too late? No. If we'll confess, if we'll come back, if we'll humble our hearts and, and get our hearts right with God, He's faithful and just to forgive us. I want to close with one passage in, chap- in Luke chapter 15, if you'll turn with me there. You know this story, but it's one of my favorite passages in the New Testament. And I think it speaks to this this idea of God's heart wanting to restore God's heart saying to to his people even in, even after all of this if you'll turn your heart to me I will I will it's never too late my heart is to is to heal to restore in in Luke chapter 15 we have that the famous passage the famous story of the prodigal son and we'll just read it, and it's a little lengthy, but just follow. It's so beautiful. Just follow with me in your Bibles, if you would, picking it up, Luke 15 and verse 11. And then he said, A certain man had two sons, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. And so he divided them his livelihood. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. But when he had spent all, there arose a severe severe famine in the land, and he began to be in want. And there came the first wave, right? And then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his field to feed swine. And there was the next wave. And he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything the next wave. Verse 17, but when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. Now there's the heart of repentance. There's a humbled heart. In verse 20, and he arose and he came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight and am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fatted calf here and kill it and let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. Now his older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of his servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and because he has received him safe and sound, your father has killed the fatted calf. But he was angry and would not go in. Therefore his father came out and pleaded with him and So he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years I have been serving you. I never transgressed your commandment at any time, and yet you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. 
But as soon as this son of yours came, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you were always with me, and all that I have is yours. It was right that we should make merry and be glad, for your brother was dead and is alive again, and was lost and is found. You know, it's never too late to humble your heart and return to the Lord. It's, it's never, you, you've never gone too far. If there's even a, a, a thought that you want to come back to the Lord, just that thought means you're not too far. Just that, that desire to come back. You saw what the son felt here. He didn't think he'd be received, but oh, he just wanted to go back and just find anything that he could take. And the, and the heart of the father, I love that, while he was still a long ways off, you know, the father was looking for him. The father had his eye out for him. And when he saw him a long way off, he ran out and embraced him. And so the Spirit of God, I believe his eyes run to and fro across the earth, looking for those hearts that are loyal toward him, those hearts that are returning, those hearts that are humble, those hearts that are honest and sincere. And he looks for those hearts and he sees them a long way off and he runs out that he might show himself strong on their behalf, that he might bring us into fellowship and mercy, and that we might enjoy the relationship that he so desires with us. Lots to learn in this passage in Leviticus. The Old Covenant, some differences than what we enjoy in the New, but certainly some, some of these principles are still true in our lives and walk today. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for the love that you have for us. Lord, we don't deserve it. And yet, you love us. And Lord, I'm, I'm asking for us all that these, these truths that you have brought to our attention tonight, Lord, these, these nuggets, if you will, these precious things, that they would really find lodging in our heart and that they would find good soil and bear much fruit. Lord, I, I ask that you would, you would help us, Lord, to trust you, to seek first the kingdom of God, knowing that you will provide, you will take care of us, you will bless us, and that we would have a confidence in that. Lord, I pray also that you would help us to sow to the Spirit and not to the flesh. God, that we would not grow weary in well-doing, that we would not give up, that we would not lose heart, that we would not turn back or go back into some old comforts of a sinful way or a relationship or a habit, but rather, God, that we would continue to sow to the Spirit, knowing that we will reap if we do not lose heart. In due season, you will bless. There will be life and peace. Help us to make good decisions as believers. And Lord, I pray also, I pray for those, Lord, that may be here tonight that are feeling as though maybe it's too late for them. God, I pray that we would, that we would be reminded it's never too late. You love us. You haven't forgotten your covenant. The cross hasn't lost its power. The blood of Jesus has not been diminished in its cleansing grace. No. You're looking for us. You're looking for us even while we're still a long ways off. 
And as our heads are bowed here, Lord, I pray that you would minister to those hearts that may need to respond to you here tonight. And if you just keep your head bowed in an attitude of prayer one more moment, we always like to give an opportunity for those that may need to come to the Lord. Maybe you're here tonight and and you don't have a relationship with God. If I were to ask you, are you a child of God, you would have to say, honestly, I I don't believe I am. I've never really given my life to Him. I've never really received Jesus as my Savior and asked Him to forgive me. I've never really humbled myself and confessed my sin. But He's speaking to you tonight. He's drawing you, and, and He wants to save you. And I'd love to pray for you if you'd like to receive Jesus Christ tonight. Or maybe you're here tonight and you're something of a prodigal. At one time, you you were in close relationship with the Lord. You've come to faith. You know Jesus as your Savior, but you're distant from Him tonight. So far and so distant, and maybe it's been for a while, that you wonder if you can even come home. But the Lord is speaking to your heart tonight as well. And I think that He would say, Come, I'm looking for you. I've been watching, I've been looking at the road to see if you might come around the corner. God is drawing you. God is speaking to you. Maybe you need to recommit, rededicate your life to Him. And allow Him to embrace you afresh and anew tonight. Put the robe and ring on your finger. He loves you. So if you're here tonight and you need to receive the Lord for the first time or you need to come back home and you need to rededicate your life to Him, would you just raise your hand where you're seated? Raise it high so I can see it and I'll pray for you. Anybody here tonight, the Lord is speaking to you and you need this prayer. God bless you. You as well. Any others would like to be prayed for along with these two young men that have responded to the Lord tonight. The Lord speaking to you. Anyone else just before I pray? Father, I do thank you for these hearts that you've touched tonight and ministered to. And Lord, we're so grateful that you do not forget your covenant. Lord, even when we forget it sometimes, even when we are distant, you You love us and you call us home. And Lord, for those hearts that have responded here tonight, I pray first, Lord, that you would simply forgive them of their sin. That they would, just as we read, that they would confess in their hearts. That they would acknowledge their guilt before you. That they would say, God, we've sinned. God, I'm not worthy of your love and your mercy. I've sinned. Forgive me. And God, I'm asking you to forgive me by the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed at the cross. I I can't do it in my own strength, Lord. I have no righteousness of my own. But I believe that what you did at the cross was payment for my sin. And I want to receive that tonight. And I ask you to cleanse me and wash me and establish me, Lord, in right standing before you. Take away the past, the shame, the guilt. Lord, wash me clean tonight. I repent of these things. Lord, I turn from these things. I don't want to sow to the flesh any longer. It's produced nothing but corruption in my life. I put it down and I look to you in faith and I ask you to cleanse me and forgive me. And I ask you to touch me with the power of your Holy Spirit. It would help me to live for you and to glorify you. In Jesus' name. Amen. 
Amen. Let's stand.